Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. As we pick up with 1 Kings 19, let's remember that we've had tremendous shows of power in 1 Kings 18. Elijah has engaged in a contest with the prophets of Baal and has won. And now there's an end to the drought, um, for Elijah has seen a cloud, and he's able to, to supernaturally run to Jezreel faster than Ahab can travel there in a chariot. However, as chapter 19 opens, we see that none of this display of power is able to persuade Ahab and Jezebel. They are not repentant. They are not moved. In fact, Jezebel vows revenge. She's going to kill this prophet Elijah. And so Elijah runs away scared. After all of that display of power, he's scared of Jezebel. He takes his servant to Beersheba, which is in Judah. So he literally leaves the country. He flees the country for his safety. And we see that Elijah says he wants to die. But an angel comes and attends him. Um, This is very common that after a high, we will experience a low. After we've had a strong emotion, um, we often have a strong mood swing. This happens a lot for leaders, particularly in the religious arena. Once God has done something good and used us to lead God's people, there's often a strong attack that comes right behind that. And if we're not very careful, it can leave us feeling very vulnerable The more God does and the more God uses us to do for the kingdom of God, the more we have to connect with God and be sure that we are not vulnerable to an attack from the enemy to dismantle all of that. I think what we're seeing here is this kind of mood swing that Elijah is experiencing a depression. We know that he stays here alone for an extended period of time. 40 days, which is a euphemism for a long time, more than a one-month cycle. It could refer to a literal 40 days and nights, but it can also mean just an extended period of time as well. We hear him say twice now that he's the only one left. But what about those hundred prophets that Obadiah has hidden? When we are depressed when we are tired and exhausted, when we're at a difficult point in our lives, we all often feel very alone. We're the only person who's ever gone through this. We're the only ones experiencing this. No one knows how I feel. No one is with me. And we know that that's usually, it's almost never true. It's just the way we feel. Isolation can exacerbate our feelings of depression. It can undermine our resolve and it can leave us feeling exhausted. And there's a meme out there right now that talks about Elijah and says, um, remember when Elijah said he wanted to die and God says, hey, come have something to eat and take a nap. Sometimes when you're feeling bad, a little bit to eat and a nap, some rest is the, the way to handle that. And that's very true. God then meets with Elijah. I find it very interesting that God doesn't meet with him in the mighty wind. God isn't in the mighty earthquake. God is not in the mighty fire. 
God is in the silence. Um, So there are many ways we can experience God. I think it depends on what we need at the moment. But when we are feeling alone, exhausted, abandoned, tired, attacked, depressed, sometimes what we need is the rest and the silence to be able to hear the voice of God again. God gives Elijah an assignment. The first one is go to Aram, which is the kingdom of Syria, and anoint Hazael as the king. Um, Anoint Jehu as the king of Israel and choose Elisha as your successor as a prophet. There's going to be a cleansing coming. Syria, Aram, the kingdom over which Elijah has just anointed Hazael king, is going to attack Israel, and it's going to eventually lead to a religious reformation for the nation. Elijah does become Elisha's disciple, and he is allowed to go home and have closure with his family first. In chapter 20, we see King Ben-Hadad of Aram. Um, We don't know where King Hazael is. He was just anointed. Where is he? Sometimes we see another name for a king, and that may be what we see here because Ben means son of, Ben-Hadad. So Hazael may be, it may be Hazael Ben-Hadad, so Hazael the king of uh, Hadad. Perhaps, we don't know. Um, But he comes against the country, and Ahab first pays the extortion, but now he's come back looking for more, and Ahab refuses to pay any more uh, money. These verses almost imply that the cleansing has already occurred. That may be so. We see that young men are going to lead them, not seasoned warriors, and there's going to be 7,000 troops to fight. That's the number that was given as a remnant after the cleansing had happened. That's one of the things that kind of implies that some of that cleansing may have already occurred. So um, Syria may have attacked under Hazael, um, killed a bunch of them, there's 7,000 left, and now they're here to fight. That's really difficult to tease out exactly from the text. The prophet here is unnamed. He's just called a certain um, Israelite. Um, Israel is going to be successful um, in this battle. King Ben-Hadad is going to escape. Um, they're going to chase him down, destroy him. But Ben-Hadad has escaped. The prophet warns that he's going to attack again. Israel is a much smaller force. um, And we are reminded that God is not confined to geography. Um, He's not just a God of hills. He's a God of all. Ben-Hadad now surrenders. Ahab makes a treaty with him and lets him go. Um, We doubt very seriously that Ben-Hadad would have done this with Ahab if he had won. And a prophet comes to denounce Ahab for doing this. It reminds me of Nathan's confrontation with David over um, killing Uriah and taking Bathsheba. In chapter 21, Naboth refuses to sell his vineyard. His vineyard is an an ancestral inheritance. Um, And so the king is not willing to take no for an answer. Um, So Jezebel sets Naboth up, has him falsely charged and stoned so that they can take the vineyard. It's just a sign of the cruelty and the ego 
of this idolatrous king and his wife. Elijah brings strong condemnation on Ahab and Jezebel for this, that, and he says that all of his house will be cut off. They will experience humiliating deaths. And then we're told that Ahab repents and God relents. God is still moved by true repentance, no matter how great the sins have been. And the sins of Ahab and Jezebel have been great. Chapter 22, Judah and Israel are having a moment of peace with one another. Um, During a state visit, Ahab invites Jehoshaphat to join him in a raid. Uh, The pagan prophets are all prophesying victory, victory, but Jehoshaphat wants to hear a word from God. He wants a prophet of the one true living God. Micaiah is summoned. Um, He is absolutely hated by Ahab because he doesn't say what Ahab wants to hear. He says what he hears God saying to him. Um, Initially, Micaiah is recorded as agreeing with the other prophets, but his words or his tone indicate to Ahab, perhaps his body language, tell Ahab that he means exactly the opposite. So when the prophet of God comes, he's sarcastic. And yeah, 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 y'all are going to have victory. No problem. Go do that. And when Ahab says, I don't believe you, he gives a true prophecy and he predicts failure. He goes even further to say that this attack will be the death of Ahab, um, that a false spirit is using um, his prophets to accomplish the will of God and have him die. Micaiah is imprisoned for giving the prophecy that they sought him out and forced him to give. That seems unfair. Ahab is clearly worried about this. He disguises himself. He doesn't want to appear to be the king because, you know, let's let somebody else look like the king so they'll kill him. He's dressed as an average soldier, but he is still cut down by a random stray era, and he dies. So the prophecy is fulfilled. Um, Though he is killed on the battlefield, dogs come and lick his blood just as was predicted. Um, But they lick it off the chariot um, while it is being cleaned instead. Ahab's son, Ahaziah, follows him as king. Meanwhile, over in Judah, Jehoshaphat is ruling He comes to power in Ahab's fourth year, and he reigns 25 years. He follows God, but like his father Isaiah, he allows the people to continue to engage in pagan worship. So he's faithful, but he's too permissive on everybody else. Peace with Ahab is listed as a charge against him. Um, He should not have tried to make peace with someone who was disobeying God and being as evil as Ahab and Jezebel were. Um, He did kill the male temple prostitutes, and this is presented as being to his credit. Jehoshaphat would not fight with Ahab's son Ahiza, um, not even to take a land with no king, which would have made it easy pickings. Um, He's learned his lesson. He's not going to align with people who are unfaithful again. Ahaziah comes to power in Israel in Jehoshaphat's seventh year. So they're trying to help us create a timeline by giving us the years of these kings in the other kingdom to judge it by. Ahaziah, however, is going to only rule for two years. Uh, He's an evil king. He's not good at all. And 
with this information, the book of First Kings comes to an end. Um, I remind you that First and Second Kings were once one book, that this division comes quite late in the 15th century. And so this explains why there's no summary to end the book of First Kings. There's it's going to be really abrupt, and it's going to be really abrupt when it picks up in Second Kings. There's no introduction or summary recap. Second Kings is just literally going to pick up. So what they did was just literally divide it into two stories. So one abruptly ends, and the next one abruptly begins. So this is the end of what we have as First Kings. We'll pick up the story with Second Kings. Thank you.